All right. Uh, welcome to Call and Shots. This is Seth Partnow. Uh, I am joined today by uh, someone who I've been following on Twitter for a while, who uh, is uh, has as an expert in in something that's sadly uh, too much of a factor in this year's playoffs. Although I, I guess I say too much of a factor. It's a it's a factor every year in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Dr. Ra- uh, Rajpal Brar, who is a doctor of physical therapy, um, here to talk about injuries, return to play, and stuff like that. And if we have time, we might even get into some Formula One. We'll see where we go. Um, first of all, um, like, can you describe the, the, the discipline involved? This is for my edification as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, the, the, the discipline of, of what a doctorate in, phys- uh, in physical therapy in, involves. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's typically four year undergrad and then it's a three year graduate program. First two years, you're kind of, in, you know, just studying. Then last year is um, rotations and then you take your boards and then you can, you know, go to like, like a residency if you want, but it's not required. So, and then fun- functionally, like what, uh, what, what sort of falls under? Oh, I got you. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. honestly, I mean, a lot of it is just, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's combination. There's the physical side, which is going to be more orthopedic, right? Like, let's say broken ankle, right? You go to therapy. There's that. And there's also a large part of it is when it comes to what we call the neuro side, although they're both interrelated. So I don't even like using those distinctions. But let's say you have a patient who suffered a stroke, who suffered a brain injury. So it's rehabbing them back as well so you have to have an understanding of kind of a vast array of things and of course depending on where you practice and you know what you like to specialize in uh you get a more of an exposure to those certain things so and correct me if i'm wrong but your your day-to-day work is is on the injury rehab side a lot yeah, a lot of it's more on the injury rehab side and whether that entails, you know, sports medicine or whether, you know, it really just entails people who want to get back from injury and then want to stay healthy as well. Sure. So let's let's apply that to, you know, the, the landscape of professional sports. Um, the first thing is, um, how do you balance kind of want, wanting to give information with um I guess diagnosing patients that you don't actually see, if that makes sense. Um, is there uh, are, like what are the factors you're balancing in terms of of evaluating both the injury and um, kind of the, pro- the the prognosis from there? So do you do you mean like with the videos or on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah like the, the biggest thing is just looking. Well, so there's two different phases, right? One is before any diagnosis is given, like let's say an injury happens. And then there's going to be certain indicators that I can see whether the easiest becomes if you have video because certain types of injuries are um, come from a different type of, you know, specific types of mechanism, like an ankle roll, you can tell pretty well. An ACL rupture has a very specific mechanism. So there's trying giveaways on that. There's also indicators in terms of, you know, Player response isn't a good one, but for an ankle injury, was the player able to place weight? Because we know 
there's a, something called Ottawa ankle rules. If you can pl- uh, walk more than three steps of weight bearing, you likely don't have an ankle fracture. And but then you can pro- you know you can use that on different injuries to try and connect the dots on certain things. And so that's kind of where that you know injury I don't know, like prediction, but it's just looking at kind of general indicators and trying to give the most. I guess, accurate guess, because in the end, that's what it is based on those different variables. And I I imagine it's always a a little hard uh, translating um, kind of the general population rules to, you know, elite athletes who are both, you know, supremely conditioned, but also just sort of by definition, at least in, in the basketball side, it's it's probably a more representative, at least size-wise, population. And, and for example, soccer. I see yep. you, you talk about soccer injuries a lot. Those are more normal-sized people. But, but <laughs> yeah. True. So, so is that what, I mean, how, how do you balance sort of, this is, okay, a, a, a uh, you know, a, a run-of-the-mill pickup basketball player, yeah, tears their ACL. This is the 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 you know this is the the, the steps from there versus uh, you know an elite NBA player. Um, there are different things going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say I think that the biggest thing is is just making people aware that if I'm giving a prognosis, it's typically applying to the elite okay. athlete demographic. It's not general demographic like with an ACL. You're seeing. You know, typically guys coming back return to court at nine months. That's not typical when it comes to a, a normal individual. And then, you know, it depends on the video, but sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll go into different reasons for it. So I think it's just trying to add those points about, hey, these guys do have a different level of care. They have a very different level of previous level of fitness, which we know is, plays a big part. And so it's trying to just kind of, you know, layer in those things as best I can. But of course, you're touching it on it on every point, you know, becomes a bit repetitive. So I think I, I try to just, the balance is of course, trying to give a prognosis, but at the same time, making people understand that, Hey, this applies to this specific sport individual. And so there's different timelines depending on sport as well. To try and give that context as best I can without, um, you know, mudding up the waters too much and just making it confusing. Sure. Let's let's stick on like uh, like large injuries like ACLs or Achilles yeah. just for a second before moving to sort of the, the specifics of people who are missing time in, in the playoffs right now. Um, you know, the, the, the Clippers didn't make the playoffs in large part because uh, Kawhi Leonard didn't play all year and, and Jamal Murray won't, won't have played all year either. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like there's almost two divergent paths um, in ACL recovery. One is which, okay, it's 10, 12 months after the injury, I'm back on the court, but I'm not right for a while. And mm-hmm. the other is, um, you know, I haven't played in, you know, Jamal Murray will, won't have played in, 18 or 20 months since his, since his injury at the, at the start of, of next season. Yep. So, um, you know, what are the, what are the pros and cons of sort of each, each, um, pathway and, um, you know, is there anything specific, like, and what kind of specific factors are there for an individual athlete in, in kind of making that decision? 
Yeah, I think the first thing you have to really look at is the timing of the return. So like, like in Kawhi's case, do you want him to come back and immediately jump into higher intensity games as you're at the end of the season or into the playoffs? That's why I never thought he would come back this year because that gap between rehab and then ramping up and then actual games is already significant. But now if you're bringing them even into higher intensity games, that's an even bigger gap and therefore risk, whether it's for re-injury or other injuries. And uh, I can't remember when Murray was, I can't remember when exactly Murray was injured, um, but uh, I think it's a similar thing in his case where they don't want to bring him back to the point where he has to ramp up too quickly. Uh, But in general, if the team has the luxury of waiting, you're going to give, it it tends to have better outcomes because we know, for example, like the actual graft, when you have an ACL injury and they put it and they put in a new ligament, that graft is still fully reintegrating at like 18 months. And so a lot of times what you'll see is guys come back at that nine month mark but then they kind of have to adapt on the fly, which can lead to some other consequences. Sure. I, 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 if I remember correctly, this is going way back. Jerry, Jerry Rice did something like that where he, he blew out his knee like the first week of a season when, and came back the last week of the season and then like suffered a different injury to the same knee after coming back. Um, uh, this is you know 20 years ago, so who knows? Probably a lot has changed in surgery uh, in, in that time, anyway. But so, in, in the case of in the case of Murray, like my understanding, he's sort of he has been uh, for whatever this means, and maybe you can clarify. He has been medically cleared to return to activity for a couple months. Yeah. Um, but the indications are that mostly by his choice, he kind of took it slow. Um, you know, what are, again, what are, what are the factors, you know, an athlete yeah. should weigh and what should we as, 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 and should we as fans have any sort of, um, I don't know. Uh, this is a loaded question because I think obviously not. Like it's, it's, it's the, it's the guy's body in his career. So like he should do what he thinks is best, but like, you know, what's the best way to tell fans to back the hell off? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think with, with Murray, it's really about, it's risk reward, right? So certain players are going to err maybe more towards, Hey, I want to get back quicker and, and just, you know, see what happens versus some guys are going to be like, Hey, you know, I want to ramp up slower or I'm, even though, you know, medically clear doesn't mean that the person's ready to return to game action. For example, with ACLs, one of the biggest things, and this is shown in the research is that there's something called kinesiophobia or fear of movement or re-injury. So guys, oftentimes may come back and they don't feel mentally confident, right? And which can then lead to certain issues. Uh, you know, they're not 100% on cutting. Are they going to go after that loose ball? So until you're really mentally there, you may not be ready to come back. And I think uh, it's a different injury, but Kawhi had the same thing with his knee issue with the Spurs where he was quote-unquote medically cleared, but he wasn't comfortable at all in coming back and he was still having some pain and we know pain isn't always associated with just, you know, tissue based, uh, tissue based diagnosis. So there's so many other variables at play than just the medical structure. 
And is that why, you know, serious injuries like an ACL or, or perhaps even Achilles are, are sometimes talked about as like two year, two year injuries. You don't play for a year. And then that first year, if you do come back, it's, it's sort of, you're like, does this work? Is, is my leg going to explode when I take this step? And then after about a year, you kind of get more comfortable. Yeah. And and then it's mental. It's also physical, right? Because you haven't played in a game in a real game fitness wise for let's say nine plus months. And I think it was Dwight Howard this year who said that if you don't play in two straight games, you lose game fitness. So now imagine you're out for nine plus months, right? So you're having to adapt to those physical and mental rigors again. And then, so that comes, and then there's the mental component. And then a lot of times, I think you saw this with Durant last year, you'll come back, but you'll pick up some other soft tissue injury. Like he had that hamstring uh, issue middle of the season and that's not uncommon because you haven't loaded those muscles in your body with that type of intensity for that long and so that can lead to some of those downstream effects and and perhaps you're 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 loading loading them differently yeah exactly um let's so hamstrings are are a good place to to i guess go next because um we've seen a few um uh so i guess you know one like we could start if you want to just start talking about some of the players. Um, sure. You know, Devin Booker is obviously the the probably the most prominent. Although uh-huh. I think Kyle Lowry's got got a hamstring issue right now as well. Like what? Yep. Um, I you know I've I've pulled a hamstring before. I think anyone who ever has is that knows that that feeling of like yeah. you know, something grabbing the back of your leg and then. You, know, you you think you're you think you're ready to come back and then oh I'm running I'm running oh nope there still is so what <laughs> yeah. you know what um you know what what does that look like for uh, uh you know I think Booker and Lowry are probably slightly different cases just because for if for age if no other reason uh-huh. um, but what you know what are we what are we will we typically be looking at for kind of length of absence and and when does the risk of re-injury start to decline? Sure. So, of course, it first depends on – there's two things it really depends on. First is the severity of the hamstring tear. Typically, it's, you know, just to make it simple, it's grade one, grade two, grade three. But there are – injuries aren't that cut and dry. You can have, you know, we call it grade one plus, grade two minus. So there's there's gray area there. Typically, with a grade one – which I believe is the case with Booker and Lowry, you're looking at you know seven to fourteen days for return timeline typically, and so the big thing though, like you said, is that risk of re-injury. The biggest risk there is the first two weeks. You know, really good research actually shows I think it was thirty percent of athletes re-injure the hamstring within two weeks of returning, and so I asked Chris Paul about that. So. There's very high risk just because the hamstrings are loaded during basically every single movement for any running sport. And so that leads to that high risk. And they're loaded in different ways as well. I saw another big study. I think it was hamstring re-injury risk is increased for one year. I think it's double the risk for even one year after the initial injury. Wow. Yeah. So uh, double compared to someone who hasn't injured right. the hamstring. Right. 
Um, so in the standpoint, like I've been sort of operating under the assumption that, um, you know, Phoenix, uh, if they close out New Orleans um, in game six, um, uh, then maybe he he's not ready for the bulk of the second round series. But uh, barring a setback is, I don't want to say out of the woods, but in decent shape kind of by conference finals. Yeah. That. And so that, I mean, that, that's, you know, the, the discussion in the playoffs has been like the big second round absences are, are, are going to be Booker and, and, and Middleton. And it just like the, the, the difference is like the Bucks play their important series next or right. their, not their toughest series next. Right. And, you know, not without, you know, casting aspersions on the Mavericks, presumably um, they're not the Warriors. So that. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Um, and, and what, and in, in Lowry's case, sort of a, a similar thing, probably, um, second round, perhaps compromised if they make the conference finals kind of largely yeah. good to go by then. I mean, I think, I think the heat gave away their strategy, not gave it away, but you saw it with, with I mean, they, they, they kept Butler out too. And I was thinking, of this, I think I even tweeted about this was like, this is, this might just be a proactive move for them because they're confident in their ability to win games right now, even without Butler or Lowry. So I think it's, you're, you're right on point in that they're planning more for the long term in the playoffs right now with, with Lowry, especially because we know how much wear and tear he's had on his body. I and mean, he had that toe injury all of last season as well. So you have to take that into account for sure. Plenty of research showing that. Uh, the longer you get into your a professional career, the higher risk you have for hamstring injuries. And so I, I think the most well-known is actually a soccer one. I believe it's like every year you play top-level soccer, your in, your risk for hamstring injury goes up by 10%. And, but you can apply that to any, really any high-level sport. Um, is in, in general, is it, it, um, this is my guess would be hamstring injuries are more common in soccer than they are in, in, in basketball. Yeah. Or is that, is that, I mean, how much of that is, is just, there's, you know, there's 22, there's 22 guys in the field instead of 10, but it, but it seems like the nature of the sport probably, correct. Um, you know, basketball is probably more knees and ankles and soccer is more hamstrings. Is that about it, right? It is. And because you said that, you know, the nature, I'm pretty sure you mean, just the demands of the sport because yes. when you watch when you watch it right um, when you're reaching out let's say you know to to to, uh, to control a soccer ball a lot of times these guys are a full stretch on the hamstring so you're adding that component as well and so that that's what can really lead to some of these hamstring injuries or obviously when you're kicking the ball it's a high velocity movement of the leg the hamstring is controlling that kicking uh, activity so it adds that what we call eccentric component. Therefore, you have more hamstring injuries. Sure. So, but by and large, it's it, this is this is a well sort of a well understood injury, and and yeah. both teams seems like they're being reasonably cautious with it. Um, on the other side, there are some kind of there there's some knee issues going on. One of uh, you know Robert Williams just came back um, uh-huh. um, I, pretty quickly. It, it seems to me. Um, what, like, what are your thoughts on 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 sort of the course that his injury has taken, and and are you surprised he's back as fast as he is? Uh, am I surprised? No. So I had heard 
I don't know if it, if it was verified or not. I had heard that the extent of his meniscus terror was what, or the extent of the meniscus damage was less than what was anticipated, which is always a good sign. And so typically you're looking at a four to six week return anyways. So three weeks, of course, is on the low end, but it didn't surprise me. And we're also in the playoffs right now. So you're not, you're going to have guys pushing those time limits for sure. Once they opted to go with the partial removal rather than the the repair, which was an option. It's not always an option. Um, that's right then when it was, to me, it was like, okay, they're really trying to get him back quick as possible. And so I thought they were going to expedite that rehab timeline as well. So it didn't really surprise me that much. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because this, this, this has come up before when players kind of um, uh, play off, want to get back, Get, get some kind of meniscus surgery. What, there's certain kinds of surgery that have of meniscus surgery that have sort of uh, long term detriments in terms of developing a higher risk of arthritis and, and, yes. and other stuff like that. Is that the repair or the removal that tends to that, that tends to cause that? So it's, it's the it's the partial removal, and so that's because you're losing tissue. Essentially, the meniscus is. It serves to act as a cushion, so it dampers some of that, that force in your knee joints and also helps reduce friction as well. And so and it's especially the case if it's on the lateral outer side. If that's what's removed um, because it has certain specific biomechanics, then you're looking at significantly higher risk for some of those arthritic changes that you just talked about. So that's, I mean, especially for a, a larger player whose game yep. is based on explosiveness. Yeah. It does seem like, like sort of a, a, that's part of why I was, I was surprised. It's because that, that was that vague, that, that jive with my vague memories of, of what I've heard from previous. And it's like, yep. well, that's, uh, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's fast and, and risky. Um, but, but other than that, are there any, any sort of, um, elevated risks of uh, associated with with coming back from a meniscus injury. I mean, the only thing, though, I mean, as long as he's clearing like the fitness checks, I mean, that's the big one. Really coming back from that again, anytime you're you're off for three four weeks and you come back to a high play high intensity playoff game, it's going to come with certain risks. That's inherent after sure. any injury. Sure, but that's not that's not a that's that's sort of the, a generalized risk, not a yeah yeah. It's not even specific to this, so okay. not yeah. I would say not really. Okay. Um, now on on the, the other the other side of of that uh, pre- again, presuming the Bucks finish off the Bulls tonight, uh, yeah. Chris Middleton is going to miss some of that series. Uh-huh. I would guess all. Um, but you tell me. So I mean, I don't. I think, what was the? I'm trying to remember what the original timeline that they gave on that. They said, "Oh man, even so, let's assume yeah. I think he has an MCL a tear, yes. right? And so with a grade two, your tip we're looking at around four weeks, give or take a week. So yes, but it's certainly possible for him to miss the majority of that series. The one good thing about the MCL." Uh, I always joke, if there's one ligament, major knee ligament you want to tear, let it be uh, the MCL because it heals really well. It has a really good blood supply, unlike the other major knee ligaments. So that's why even surgery is really rarely required. So it can heal quite well. So he might be he might be able to come back quicker than what we think. 
But again, we'll see. There's no guarantee on that. And what are what are kind of the are there risks associated with with a with a return to play from that, or or is it uh, is it just sort of once again once he's cleared, there's the well you haven't played in you haven't played in three weeks, so yeah, the, 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 those reentry issues, or is there something specific to kind of his, his the, the knee being reinjured or damaged further? Honestly, with, with the MCL, it probably has the, the least amount of risks associated with it outside of the general return to play risk. So um, I would say not really, not really in this case, like even MCL re-injury after an initial MCL injury, it, the, the rates are quite, quite low. So it's almost, it almost seems like the, the MCL is, is almost more akin to a, to a, a muscle injury than, than a lot of the other kind of lig- ligament and tendon damage that is that, that are typically more severe. Is that is that a bad way of looking at it? I mean, honestly, depending on the muscle that you that you injure, uh, MCL might be even less severe because there's less. Because let's say, I mean, i I'd rather have a, a I'd rather have a grade two MCL injury than a grade two hamstring tear because the re-injury risks are are so much higher in the latter case. Sure. Although, it's, although for for a player like like Middleton, that doesn't who doesn't necessarily extend. Um, you know, with great force as often as, as some others, maybe that's a, maybe it's a little bit more of a wash. Um, yeah, no, very true. Um, what are some of the, like, let me see, there, some of the other injuries you had going around, there's, uh, uh, I mean, I, I imagine concussions aren't, or kind of aren't your area so much. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I, I actually have a background in, in concussion. Oh, okay, well, um, so, you, um, like, Alex Caruso is out tonight. Um, yeah, I would say when is he likely to be back? And the answer is probably next season because I don't think the Bulls are winning tonight. But <laughs> let's say but, they extend it. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. So the, the reason why concussions are so difficult is because symptoms are so variable. It's it's really I think if I remember the latest research, most guys get back before ten days, but it's all going to be um, symptom dependent day to day. And and that's kind of the hard part with concussion. It's hard to really give that timeline. And you, and they're going to take him through activity progressions once he's symptom-free and then see – or they, they would be doing that if they get by today and then seeing how he responds. And and that's the hard part really with concussions is that it's it involves your brain. I mean the, the medical term for these are, are, are mild traumatic brain injuries – and so there's so many different variables going on that it can lead to a convoluted uh, prognosis. So, the, like, can you, we hear about the people being in concussion protocols, and it's sort yeah. of, I like it, it. Almost is is sort of gives you the the uh, the mental image of like the 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 privacy tent, like they have on football sidelines. It's like, yeah. Player with concussions and enters, and at some point they come out the other side and are ready to play. But what actually, what like what what are concussion protocols for a, a you know a, a high level athlete? Like what things are they looking at? Is there kind of a baseline against what what they're measuring? Like what all goes into that? That's exactly right. What you just said. So they'll have they have uh, you know baseline concussion testing prior to the season, and then that's what you're using to, to check against as your reference point in the season. The reason why they have those tents in the NFL and they do concussion testing in them, let alone all the other you know, treatment, is that you want to do it in a relatively um, initial testing 
in a relatively controlled and well, these aren't they're not quite quiet, but it gives you more of a controlled environment to do that initial test. If that if you see some indicators there, you then go back to the locker room and they're they're going to do the full test, which can which can be upwards of like seven to ten minutes. So what, what like what is involved with that? Like I you know I playing basketball I I pretty sure I was concussed, but it was like twenty years ago and yeah. no one knew anything no one knew anything about yeah. it. So just like oh I feel I feel terrible for four days, but like other than that it's, it was but so what are they actually doing? What are they testing for? What what yeah. are those what do those tests look like? So I mean a lot of them are it's gonna be a combination, right? I mean the first thing you want to see if the person has aspects of where they are, you know, what, what happened, who they are, does it short-term memory. So those are all signs of person's concussion. Then you have different uh, manual tests where you're testing the person's vision, testing speech, testing coordination as well. And so all those things are going to be potentially impacted by a concussion. And then during throughout that, you're trying, you're trying to monitor if that person has any symptoms as well. Sure. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. Um, I, I guess the the other series where there's there's a fair amount of, of injury stuff going on is the Toronto Philly series. Uh, yes. On one hand, we have we have Scotty Barnes dealing with with his ankle, and on the other hand, and it kind of seems like it might be a bigger deal right now is uh, the thumb injury for for Joel Embiid. So, uh, you know, which one of those do you want to tackle first? I mean, Barnes is simple. Let's do that first. I mean, it looks like Barnes just had a, he got stepped on and his ankle turned inwards. So it's that inversion ankle sprain. That's what it looks like at least. And so if that is the case, typically grade one, you're looking at seven seven to 10 days. Grade two can be like three weeks potentially. But then of course, always trying to expedite. With my understanding where Barnes, I know he was, he's been more involved in terms of activity progressions correct me if i'm wrong if i remember correctly and so it looks like he's progressing but it's still going to be a matter of how that ankle responds now to increase activity especially when it comes to side to side movement and then spontaneous movement as well and then and in beats case like you said it definitely looks more significant from my understanding uh he's going to need surgery in the off season. And I think it's what's called the ulnar collateral, but thumb, thumb ligament joint. So like in the case of there's two cases, I remember this season, Taylor Horton Tucker, the Lakers and, and CP three as well. Both those guys missed almost a month with surgery. So it's not an insignificant injury. And then you talk about a thumb injury, which is obviously involved in pretty much, you know, most basketball activities, especially for a big guy who's in a lot of traffic. So, it certainly makes sense why that injury is affecting him. Yeah, no, it did, I mean, it, it felt, it, it certainly seemed like, at least in the last game, that, that he was having an unusual amount of, of, of problems sort of holding on to the ball in, in traffic. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, maybe that, maybe that's just sort of, uh, sort of a stray sand effect of like, oh, his hand hurts. I wonder if he has trouble with the ball. And then <laughs> right. and so we notice every time that the ball gets bobbled a little. But it really did seem like, you know, uh, and the Raptors, I mean, probably contribute to that. I mean, they're, they're a handsy team to begin with. Yes. And, and um, it, they, they probably were not shy about, you know, taking pokes at, at the ball when, when he had it. Right. But, so these are always, these are always sort of the, 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 the weird injuries to me. It's like, okay, 
Um, he's going to need surgery in the offseason, but he can't hurt it more now. Yeah. Um, that, that almost doesn't make sense. So you can play with it, but you, you, should, you shouldn't play with it is almost what that's, that's saying to me. Um, like, what, what's going on there? I mean, it, they're saying pretty much if there's a normal situation where it wasn't the playoffs, he wouldn't be playing with it. And so essentially what they're saying is that he's going to need surgery anyway. So if it does get hit again, even if it's like a grade two plus tear where, there, where it is still partially connected, in those cases, you still need surgery. So if surgery is required anyways, you can go out there and keep playing. And regardless of what happens, it's not going to get it's not going to get any more torn, right? So uh, that's I think that's what they're saying uh, in in this case. It just becomes really difficult because obviously when you have a torn ligament, there's that joint is becoming unstable now, and it's going to affect obviously not just your function, but then it's going to create pain as well, which affects pretty much everything you're doing. If you're thinking, if he's out there thinking about his thumb as he's, you know, trying to swim through or be in traffic or rebound or block shots, obviously it's going to impact his play. I mean, it certainly seemed like, like, and again, some of this is, is credit to the Raptors defense. It did seem like he was spending a lot more time 30 feet from the basket. Um, yeah. That is certainly ideal for, for, for the <laughs> 76ers. And then, and I think then, then he was early in the series. Um, and again, you don't, you don't like, you don't want to say that that was all due to the injury and, and uh, like some of it's obviously like Toronto's defense is swarming defense probably. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I, I, I can imagine not wanting to put yourself in a position to get hit might change the way you play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, may, it makes perfect sense, especially with the amount of hands he has around him. So let me see. I think those are, those are most of kind of the, the, playoff injuries that, that we're dealing with. Am I, am I forgetting anything of, of significance that's going on right now? I, just, um, I mean, I just, I mean, only one other one injury was Ben with Simmons, but. I mean, how much can you, can we even say about that? Like what can, what can, what can yeah. you say about that from kind of the outside looking in? Yeah. I mean, it's hard. To, it's really hard to say what, I mean, what I will say is that, you know, uh, regardless of how much verity you put into, you know, the mental block as whether, you know, the verity of that or not, that certainly aligns with something I I've seen with chronic pain patients where, you know, uh, stress and uh, certain activities can lead to pain, even though you've been medically cleared. So I think the key thing to understand with Ben is that it's not uncommon to have a significant mental component that contributes to pain. That's like, that's more common than not. So that, I mean, again, but then like you said, there's so much there we don't know. So it's hard to really come make more of a uh, insight on that. So a question that's come up a lot is, is like, like when, when and how did this injury happen? I mean, people have asked, asked me like, well, how do you, how did you even make the trade if he's got a back injury? And it's like, well, um, if they didn't know he had a back injury when they made the trade, then like the 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 then the, they'd have a a claim against the Sixers. You remember, if we remember back, um, yeah, um, you know, back in the day when when the the Pelicans got compensation uh, from the Seventy Sixers for for the Seventy Sixers not disclosing, um, like I, I think it was a uh, uh, was it a knee or a foot issue that Drew Holiday had. Drew, yep, yeah. 
when they made that trade. So it's, it's, you know, for people who have never been on a trade call, um, the reason why trades kind of still keep trickling out after the quote deadline is what happens is there's a, like these calls take, can take like 45 minutes because you go through exhaustive detail on, do you know about this? Do you know about that? Are you aware of this? So, but, but, um, so that's even if the issue is known, that's how the trade goes down. But, um, like, what is your understanding of, 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 like, what the injury was, how it happened, when it happened, um, what could, you know, is the kind of thing that, like, ramping up after not playing, you tweak your back. Um, I think everyone who's tried to start running again after a long layoff or something like that um, has, has probably felt, oh, my back, that was too fast, too much. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, what, what more can you tell about, like, you know, from a, a you know, injury standpoint looking aside from the from the the sort of the mental health issues which you know are even more difficult to judge from the outside yeah i mean it's hard to say when it happened i know there's reports that he complained about it in sixers training camp and so at the time i thought the general override consensus might be he's just trying to you know maybe trying to use that in that case to try and get out of that but it looks like you know from my understanding, he has, you know, there's, there's what we call it. Um, part of it is essentially is when you have a, a low back disc issue. And so, which is irritating nerves, which is what it sounds like that he has. And so that can, that can take some time. And, and my question is, I, I wonder if he might not be due for a surgery potentially in the off season because they'll, they'll do something called a micro discectomy. And so that may or may not be the case here but we will see. And, and that's the kind of thing like, you know, a back, back, like that, you know, can affect stuff like sleep quality and stuff like that. No, everything. And, for and for someone who's, you know, trying to deal with, you know, other issues, like not getting sleep is, is certainly not a, not a, not helpful way to, to kind of deal with that. So it's, it seems like this, it, it's sort of a ball of, again, if, if we take everything that's been like said about that at face value, um, it seems like there's like kind of a ball of cascading issues here. Yeah. And I think in general, trying to reintroduce a player who hasn't played the whole season in a high intensity playoff series, it is in and of itself asking for trouble. So I thought they, I thought they did him a, like whoever, whether it was the Nets, whether it was people in Simmons camp, I thought they did him a tremendous disservice by, by floating the yeah, we'll play in game four stuff out there in advance. Yeah, I agree. Because if, if that got a lot more attention than anything that that Nash was actually, or Nash or the Nets team were saying, which was like, even Ben was saying, was like, no, this is a day by day. We don't know yet. I got, yeah. And so I think, I think you're 100% correct. And whoever floated that pretty much did him a serious disservice in terms of just setting up improper expectations. And so, and now it's the same point. Well, he said he was going to play, and then he didn't. So her, 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 and he's an easy target. And um, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Like the, 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 that, that felt very unfair. Exactly. Um, I want to, I want to pivot to like larger issues. This is something we talk about on on Nerder. She wrote a lot. Is sort of the 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 structure of the season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, oh, like you know, part we kind of say, oh, there's too many games. Um, from from your from your your perspective, like, um, is an NBA season 
the way that the game is played currently isn't sustainable for the human body. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it is. I mean, there's always like everyone, you'll hear players joke about it, right? I, I, like tail end of the season, everyone's dealing with something. So you have guys who are just trying to manage injuries and a lot of it, not even injuries, but being hurt. So a lot of, you know, it comes down to who is best able to manage those things. I think you would see a, a much higher a level of game if it was a 60 game season or, you know, the number is hard to say, but I'm just completely making that up. But if you did cut off games, you're going to see a better quality of play because he two games, NBA basketball consider. And then you also consider the travel, right. As well. And like you said, I mean, it messes with your, your sleep pattern. It messes with all your rhythms, even though they have the technology and the methodology is so much better it's just a lot of wear and tear and basketball like is not an easy sport to play physically. I mean, you're running up and down the court. It puts a lot of load and then you're being, it's a physical sport too. And so you're being leaned on a lot. So, you know, it's, I definitely agree. The season is too long. Uh, just from a physical standpoint, will it ever, de- will it ever decrease? No, because the financial implications. So, so, how many games, how many NBA level intensities games would you say you you quote unquote should play? What's the most you should play in a week? Not not necessarily like okay, there's the like the length of the season is one thing, but it's it's as much the density of games, isn't it? Like there's yeah, there's not enough recovery time. Like so, yeah, what, I mean, what, I do, yeah. from from an ideal body like and recovery standpoint, like how many days should there be between NBA games? I mean, ideally, you would probably give yourself around three days between games. So, like, basically, like, twice a week is, is, is more, like... Essentially, is, yeah. Um, is that, I mean, is that appropriate for, for soccer, or is playing twice in a week too yeah. much? No, even so that, then, it, that's, it's, that's more so that the common is having you want at least 72 hours between games for soccer. And so, I think it's, to me, it's very similar in terms of basketball, Maybe you could have, you know, two to three, but the, the, the thing becomes with, with basketball, with the travel, you're traveling farther as well. And so that can add to some of that recovery time needed. That's where I, I kind of got up to the 72 hours from. Sure. Let me, let, speaking of travel, this is a question that, that sort of came up when the Bucks were matched up with the Bulls on uh-huh. the playoffs. Um, what does air travel do in terms of, of, of like, what are the, um, I, I thought that was an un, uh, an underrated aspect to sort of the the good shooting and quality of play in the bubble was the, their people not not being on flights. Um, yeah, and just having general rhythm to their day, right? Like you can but, be in the same routine all day. But but for yeah, for no no travel, one we know inflammatory markers typically go up when you're traveling, and so that that's why a lot of times, like if you like if you've been injured in a city that you're and you've been and you have to get on a plane. A lot of times, uh, doctors are, are are a little bit are a little bit hesitant because inflammation can, and swelling can increase while you're in the air. That's kind of the key one. And of course, with travel, not just being in the air, is if you're changing time zones, it can mess with your circadians as well, which can of course impact your sleep and recovery. Isn't that and that's typically like that's typically like harder going west to east than the reverse. That that I'm not, I'm not actually sure on. I but I, I feel like there's there's been some studies that like 
like in the NFL, especially if uh-huh. I remember correctly, that like West like West Coast teams that play early games okay. in the Eastern Time Zone, like you know, yeah. don't don't tend to do well. But that like <laughs> that make, that's that partially remembered. But uh, it would make sense just because your body's going to be fatigued as later on in the day that your set point is later, right? So. Hmm. Um. Cool. Uh, I, I think that those. I think we've covered most of what I wanted to talk to talk about. Um, in in those terms. Um, probably used most of the hour. So. Um, probably be a little weird to to dive into kind of the, some of the F one topics I wanted. To, but uh, you, you're someone who has been a Formula One fan for for a while. I have. I have. Yeah, um, I like so, all components of F one. So. What I've become like most Americans, it seems like I've become a fan recently because of Drive to Survive. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me that that there are things that F1 does that the NBA could learn a whole lot from. Um, the specifics is they. It seems like they have found a way to make every race matter for every every driver and every team. Right. In a way that, um, you know what's one of the biggest complaints about the NBA season is there's so many games that, that like don't matter and the players treat it that way. And now the fans have sort of been educated to treat that way as well. And that's, um, you know, that's treating your customers to uh, training your customers to not care about like your product is probably not ideal. Yeah. Exactly. And then just the way that it's talked about a lot of times too. Right. So, so is there, I mean, are there any things that you think that, uh, that, 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 you know, lessons that, that, you know, for a sport that's really like grabbed a hold of a wider market share, it seems like in the States than it had very quickly. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing is one is that uh, monetary reward is heavily tied to where you finish. Right. So that's why you have even bottom teams who are trying to get, get up in the point standing because the Constructors' Championship, every slot you move up means tens of millions of dollars of change in revenue, and there's no really sharing between the teams in that regard. So I think that's a big one. That's There's a massive monetary incentive. Secondly, I think, I don't know if NBA can do anything about this. Well, maybe, they, I mean, there's always kind of, maybe in general talk of the leads expanded too much. F1 has 20 drivers, right? 10 teams. So that pool is much, much smaller. So you're going to have a lot more competition. So it's really, the, you already have the cream of the crop guys in F1, which makes it a lot more competitive. All these guys can drive really, really well. Give or, give or take a Nikita Mazepin. Um, <laughs> That's different. Yeah. No. So, and like you say, there's 20 spots, and and really, at any given time, maybe 16 of them are are sort of awarded on pure merit, and maybe yeah. I mean, maybe maybe 20% are are you know other other uh, you know drafting the hometown kid would be the uh, to to sell tickets would be the would be the equivalent of of in in, in some cases. Yeah. I mean, I think I I have to go in here a second, but I think case in point is George Russell, right? Like with Williams, he was back at the pack. But now you put him with Mercedes, and he's the only guy to finish top five in every race, right? So, so much just relies on the cars, and so that's just that's just part of it. Although, well, I, I, 
Go ahead. Sorry. I have a patient coming right now, but oh sorry. no, no, I, 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 no, I appreciate your time, and uh, I will, uh, I will let you get on with your with your real real work. Um, I appreciate. Yeah, man, let's do let's, let's do an F one one if you want. <laughs> I, you know, at some point I'm going to do a pod with of talking with with wrestling people and F one people about what the NBA could learn from those two sports. So I, I mean, keep even in terms mind. of, uh, there's so many performance overlaps too in terms of like focus. And you know a preparation as well, so I think that could be an interesting one. Well, I will, I will. Uh, let's put a put a pin in that. That sounds like a great off season conversation, and I'll chat to you about that then. All right, Seth, man, appreciate you having me. Yep, thanks a lot for coming on. That's that's Dr. Rajpal Brar. Follow him on Twitter at uh, at three CB Performance. Is uh, yes, sir. Twitter handle. Thank you so much, and thanks, folks, for listening. I will be back, I think, on Friday with Kirk Henderson to talk Mavericks. Talk to you later, folks. Take care.